0: Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me in them to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, looking at verse 30. Uh, We're going to take a break from our First Timothy series in order to spend the remaining weeks of this year uh, considering the person and the work of Christ, especially as Christmas comes into view. Um, One conversation Eunice and I have every year, usually uh, right around the end of October, is uh, the discussion of when we're going to put up the Christmas tree. Um, She loves Christmas. She loves decorating. She loves doing it uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I, on the other hand, um, you know, I'm uh, considered a Grinch uh, sometimes. I'm not so enthusiastic. Uh, and I usually say something like, well, can we just wait? Like, November should be a month for Thanksgiving. Let's focus on the season of gratitude. Everything should have its own you know, time and, and place. Um, and some people think I'm crazy. Some of you already have your trees up and lights and stockings. Um, I'm blessed because Eunice is so accommodating and she's willing to wait. Um, But not for long, because as soon as Thanksgiving's over, the tree is up. And so now in the Kim household, uh, the tree is up because Thanksgiving is over. Now that the tree is up, Christmas is in sight. And I say that because I'd like us as the household of God to do the same. Now that Thanksgiving is over and Christmas is in sight, to set our eyes now on Jesus. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Advent, the season of Advent. Advent is a Latin word. It means coming. It refers to the first coming of Christ. Um, And the season of Advent begins the four Sundays before Christmas. Um, This year, that means... December 3rd, next week. Uh, but because for us, Thanksgiving is over and Christmas is in sight, we're going to add an extra week to Advent if we're allowed to do that. And we're going to start looking at the Gospels and considering uh, different portraits of Jesus. And so if you are able, I invite you to stand with me as your act of worship for the reading and receiving of God's Word as we are reading Math- uh, Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 30 to 44. You now God's Word. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated and join me now in a word of prayer. Good and gracious Father, we ask for your help at this time because we need you. And we need you, O Holy Spirit, to come so that the words that you have given to us might be uh, illuminated and that might be helpful. They might encourage, they might lift up, they might mend, they might warn, they might stir us and prick us. Um, but all of this you would do because you are a surgeon and your word is a scalpel in your hand. So we entrust this time now to you as you do your work now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story that we read, Jesus feeding the 5,000, is one of the most well-known and familiar miracles in all of the Bible. And in fact, what's most unique about this particular miracle is that it is the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels meaning that it's the only miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record for us. Now, just think about that for a second and think about the implications of that. A miracle is significant. It's amazing. It's a miracle to begin with. But what is so special about this one that all four gospel writers deemed this one is so important? We're all going to cover it. We're all going to record it. And it's for that reason that we're actually going to take the next several weeks and we're going to camp out in this passage. If you've been at Cornerstone long enough, you know that occasionally I like to take a very familiar passage of scripture and just to steepen it, to slow down in it, to extract as much out as possible. And so we're going to do that in Mark chapter 6 in these verses. Uh, But today we're looking particularly at verses 30 to 32. And in that passage, I want to highlight this gospel truth, this one sentence summary, this main point that you should all walk away with. And it's very simple. Jesus invites you to come and rest in him. Jesus invites you to come and to rest in him. I think there's a good chance that everybody in this room needs to hear this invitation. And some of you are a victim of the the epidemic of busyness that's plagued our culture. And some of you are just simply exhausted from the daily grind of life. And some of you are just so spiritually discouraged and weary and weak. And I think there are many in this room who need to hear the voice of the kind and gentle savior who says, come to me and rest. Now, as we look at this particular passage, I do want to highlight something else that's unique about it. And this is what's unique to Mark's account. Now, I already said that all four gospel writers include the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But what we notice here in verses 30 to 32, Jesus' dialogue with the disciples, only Mark records that. And so that's going to be our focus this morning. And so I want to read it once more. Verses 30 to 32. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. And they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Because this is so unique to Mark's record of the account, I want to take time this morning to just sit in it. Now, what's going on here? Uh, Verse 30 begins, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Well, what are they returning from? Well, earlier in Mark chapter 6, we learned that they were sent out on a mission trip. Mark 6, verse 7 says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Okay, so Jesus takes the disciples, the apostles, and he sends them out on a mission trip. And what do they do in this mission trip? Well, we get the summary in verses 12 and 13. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, Mark chooses to emphasize many, He uses that word twice. Many demons were cast out. Many people were healed. And when he says many, he is not only highlighting that this was a successful mission trip, but that it was a busy mission trip. There was so much work to do, so many people, crowds coming, and yet there were only 12 people to do the work required. And so you can imagine how absolutely exhausting and draining this was. I don't know if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip yourself, but if you have, you know that seven days away, 10 days away, I mean, it is really exhausting. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, it takes weeks to recover when coming back from a mission trip. If you're an introvert, it takes like months to recover after coming back from a mission trip. And so the disciples, they're exhausted and they come back to Jesus and they actually do what all of us would do. When we send out a mission trip and they come back, that team comes back, what's the first thing they do? They make a report. Uh, we sent out a team to Cambodia this summer. Uh, so then in August, we had them give a report to the church. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had missionary Sun Son, who did a work in Hamburg, Germany, working with the refugees there. And she came after she concluded her work there and she gave a mission report. So the disciples, they go out on their mission. They're busy. They're doing all this work and they come back to the one who sent them Jesus. And we see that it says here, they told Jesus all that they had done and taught. They told him, they reported, Jesus, these are the testimonies. These are the successes and the achievements and the accomplishments. And then what's really interesting is how Jesus responds to their report. It's an important thing to think about because how Jesus responds to their report, their successes, their accomplishments, that reveals a lot about him. How he responds will reveal where his heart is, what his priorities are. Maybe you can remember when you were young, and some of you are still of this age, uh, when you got report cards. Remember that? And for some of you, getting your report card was a dreaded time of the year. Uh, For others of you, it was the highlight of the year. Um, and we all had different parents. Some parents uh, would receive a report card. They would look at your grades. They would ignore all the A's that you got and ask about the one or two that were B's. And they say, well, why aren't those A's? Yeah, some of you had those parents. Others you had parents who looked at their report card and you didn't do so hot, but they would still acknowledge you, praise you, say, good job, good work, good effort. You know, if that was you, you were truly blessed. I hope you know it. And some of you had parents who were very proud of you when you performed well. Are very disappointed with you when you didn't meet expectations. We all have different kind of parents, but what you discover is that the way they respond to this report of your work revealed something about their heart, what they cared about, what their priorities were, didn't it? And that in turn would form your view of yourself and of them. You know, are your parents somebody that you had to work to please? Are your parents people that you have to fear? Did you know that you were loved no matter how you performed or did you have to earn their approval? Did you risk losing their approval? You see, the apostles come back and they make a report to Jesus. Jesus, this is what we did on our trip. And how Jesus responds to them is going to reveal a lot about what kind of Lord and Savior he is. Because if you notice, Jesus doesn't say, okay, guys, well, good job, but remember, let's not get too arrogant because there's still a lot of work for us to do. Jesus could have said, well, that's really good to hear, but there's always room for improvement. And so next week we're going to start meeting and we're going to start training and planning on the next mission trip. I mean, if Jesus did that, it'd be understandable because missions is really important. What's at stake? Souls are at stake. I mean, if anyone understood the importance of the gospel advancing the lost being saved, the necessity and the urgency of the good news, reaching the ends of the earth. If anyone understood that it was Jesus. And yet his response reveals a different concern because he doesn't end up grading their efforts or judging the quality of their work. Jesus hears about all the reports that the disciples have done. And his response is to notice how tired they are, how busy they've been. And then he extends an invitation. Because what does he end up saying? How does he respond to their report? Verse 31, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. It's very interesting, isn't it? In Jesus's list of priorities, the ministry the disciples did for him was far less important than the ministry he wanted to offer them. What kind of savior is Jesus? He is one who cared more about giving to them than he did about receiving from them. Not only that, but Mark then cues us in on very specific reason for his invitation. Because verse 31 continues, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. I love that little detail. Because if you think about it, what an incredible way to feel seen. You see, these guys have been so busy with ministry. Their schedules were packed. Everyone was demanding a piece of them and their attention that they weren't even able to eat. And in the midst of that, Jesus, he not only has the eyes to see what's going on, but he has the heart to do something about it. Maybe you've experienced something like this before. Uh, Maybe at one of those monthly fellowship lunches, family gatherings uh, that we have at church, uh, maybe you were doing something here in the sanctuary. You were cleaning up. You were talking to somebody. You were helping organize something. uh, And by the time you get downstairs to the kitchen, uh, the food is gone. I mean, have you ever had that happen? I know I've had that happen. It's really sad. But imagine in the midst of that, you go and there's no more food and a friend taps you on the shoulder and they say, well, I've saved you a plate. And they saw that you would be late. They saw the things you were doing. And before people got up for seconds, they made sure that you could eat too. I mean, what, what a, a great way to feel loved, seen, noticed, cared for, valued. And this is what Jesus does. He notices that they haven't yet had the time to eat. So he calls them away to a desolate place to rest for a while. This is the heart of the Savior we follow. He could have looked at the growing crowds, seen all the people filling the pews, and begun selfishly thinking about, yes, this is what we've been working for. This is what we've been waiting for. More people are coming. Oh, they're finally responding. But in the midst of all of that, of the rise of his popularity, his focus and his concern are on his disciples. Have they eaten? Have they rested? Have they had a moment of respite? I want us to take some time to just sit on that and reflect with me. Because does that picture of the Savior resonate or align with what you think of Jesus? I think one danger that we can run into is when we lift Jesus as Lord above Jesus as Savior. Now, both are required. We receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But when there's an imbalance, often Jesus becomes this master whose yoke is not easy and light, but heavy and hard. Jesus is not a Savior who's gentle and lowly, but he's a master who's demanding and harsh. Maybe you grew up in a church context where you ended up having a muddied version and muddied uh, vision, a muddied view of God. Because you learned something like this at a young age, that uh, to love God, you must serve God. And thus you equated that if you weren't serving God, you weren't really loving God. I I think this speaks to some of us here who grew up in church cultures, often smaller churches where uh, they need people to serve. They need people to sacrifice. And as a result, you're implicitly taught at a very early age that it's more godly to serve until you burn out until you expend yourself. It's more godly due to do that than to take breaks for soul care and self-care. And for those who do get burned out and then need to step away, oh, you're deemed as unspiritual. You're rebuked. You're accused. Oh, so, well, you're burned out because you, you haven't trusted Jesus enough. You haven't prayed enough. You're not in the word enough. And as a pastor, I've heard the same kind of story so many times from people who have walked away from the church because they went to church, they served, they were told to serve, they were taught this very unhealthy spirituality that they needed in order to be godly to be squeezed out entirely and emptied for jesus that's what he wants from you and I kind of I always think about it sort of like one of the the, the clearest uh, evidence is that I know I'm raised by uh, immigrant parents is is the way that I use toothpaste and the way that my tube of toothpaste use uh, looks like after I'm done with it. Like I cannot in good conscience throw away a tube of toothpaste unless every gram has been extracted from it, unless it looks like a shriveled raisin. I just can't help it. And I think some of us have this kind of unhealthy view that uh, we need to be spent for God in that kind of way. And I think often what happens as a result of that as we think Jesus is just, the, just wants more and more out of us, is that we become jaded and bitter and angry, hurt. And so we walk away because we've never really learned to rest in the gospel. And the gospel basically says this, Jesus is not impressed with the work that you do for him. He wants to gift you by grace the work he has done for you. So the Bible comes along and it shows us that the God we have is a God who cares to see his people in need, those who are hungry, not only disciples, but we will soon see the crowd who has no food to eat. And he wants to say, come away with me and rest. I hope this doesn't surprise any of us, anybody who's kind of familiar with the Bible, because even if you've just read the first page of the Bible, you should already know this about the heart of God. You open up the book of Genesis, and the very first thing you read is of a God who created the heavens and the earth and who understood the need for humans to rest, the need for us to rest. And so he embedded it into the order of creation. I mean, think about it. The way God organized the creation of the world actually had you in mind because he decides, listen, I'm going to create in six days and I'm going to rest the seventh day. The seventh day, wasn't for him to catch his breath. It wasn't for him to lay down a little bit so that he can regain his strength. He rested the seventh day so that the pattern of creation could offer you a pattern to follow your life after work six days, and to rest. The Sabbath was always God's gift to us so that we might learn how to rest. This is our God. It makes sense then why early in Mark 2, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the heart of God for his people is that we might learn to rest, that we might receive his rest. I love this quote by Pastor Richard Valotis, who beautifully <laughs> writes, Sabbath is one of the clearest signs of the gospel of grace. You intentionally comp- accomplish nothing, and God still loves you. And isn't that good news? This is our God. The one who sees the disciples who are tired and busy and says and then come away and rest for a while. And the invitation of Jesus given to his disciples is an invitation of Jesus extended to you today. Today, Jesus is calling you to come away and to rest for a while. Dear friends, what might you need rest from today? Are you tired? Some of you are simply exhausted. You're trying so hard to be the perfect mom An obedient child, a good sibling, a patient friend, a hardworking employee, a diligent student, a stellar athlete, a gifted artist. And some of you are tired because you're trying so hard just to be noticed, just to be appreciated, to be thanked, to be seen, to matter. If you're tired and exhausted, you need to hear the voice of the Savior saying to you today, come a while. Come along with me. Come away with me and find your rest. Are you overwhelmed? Some of you are drowning. Life seems unbearable. Everything is going wrong one after the other. There are questions left unanswered. There's a future that's still unclear. There are decisions that we're paralyzed to make. Worries and anxieties that are our late night companions. If your life was a chorus the repeating refrain would be, why, oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, help me, O oh Lord. Whether you're afraid or lonely or stuck or uncertain, you need to hear the voice of the Savior say, come away with me and rest for a while. Are you busy? Some of you barely even have time to breathe, and if you do, you have to schedule it. There's so many things expected of you, countless things that demand your attention. People depend on you. You're juggling numerous responsibilities. You think you can do it all. So you're running and you're running, but you're running on fumes. You're desperately in need of rest, but you don't know where to go to get it. You don't know who to go to get it, and you don't know how to get it. You don't know what it looks like if you have it. And to you, the savior says, Come away with me and rest for a while. And last, are you ashamed? And some of you look at your life and you feel like there's nothing good about you. What could you put on your spiritual resume to present before God? You're acutely aware of all the things you failed to do. All the bad things you've done and the present things that you cannot overcome. And so you feel disqualified. You feel unworthy. You feel like you have stains that can't be washed. You have hurt that cannot be healed. You have brokenness that cannot be fixed. And you feel hopeless, and you feel lost, and today you need to hear the voice of the Savior say to you, come away with me and rest a while. Friends, if this is you, if you need rest, what does Jesus offer? And the good news, he offers far more than a Sunday afternoon nap and a long weekend away. He offers to us the type of rest that our souls need I'm going to show you something that Mark does here that's quite beautiful. Notice that when Jesus invites his disciples to come away with him, where does he invite them to? The scriptures say a desolate place. In verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now a desolate place is simply a secluded and quiet area, but symbolically a desolate place is far more than just a physical place. What Mark is doing here is he's actually drawing a parallel between Mark chapter six, our passage today and Mark chapter one. Now Mark chapter one is the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And here's what we read in Mark one verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, just stop there. Does that sound familiar? Mark uses the word many twice again. He did what? He healed many who were sick. He did what? He cast out many demons. And Mark chooses to do this because he's describing the success and the busyness of Jesus's ministry, which is parallel to the success and the busyness of the disciples ministry, showing that he's actually giving you a contrast. But then what's most important is this. Okay. So Jesus begins his public ministry. He's healing many people. He's casting out many demons. He is a busy man with a busy schedule, tired and exhausted. Well, what does the very next verse say? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Jesus, in the midst of the busyness of his life, in the midst of the stress and the exhaustion, he goes out to a desolate place and he does the most restful thing that he could find to do. Now, that is not sleep in a little longer. That's not take out his phone and scroll mindlessly. That doesn't mean sit in front of a television and numb yourself for hours or get lost in video games. The most restful thing Jesus could do is find a desolate place so that he could pray. He could commune and fellowship with his father. In fact, if you notice a little detail, when did Jesus do this? He did it rising very early in the morning. Well, if you rise very early in the morning, he's actually sacrificing physical sleep, physical rest in order to enjoy spiritual rest. And this helps us understand Mark 6 a little bit more because when Jesus calls his disciples to come to a desolate place, he's inviting them to receive a spiritual rest that comes from spending time with him, fellowshipping with him, communing with him. See, whether you realize it or not, the rest that you and I need is found in the arms and the presence of Jesus. It's not a rest that you can earn. It's not a rest that you can find. It's not a rest that you can merit. It's a rest that you receive. This passage is telling us, teaching us, listen, Jesus is far less interested in what you can offer him than what he wants to give to you. The Son of God came from heaven to earth and took on human nature, not so that you might do a good work for him, but so that he might give you the perfect work and give you the gift of rest. You see, to come away with Jesus to the place of rest is not to go with him to a destination. It's simply to be with him because he is the place of rest. Jesus is not a tour guide that leads you to the place of rest. Jesus is the rest you need. He's the refuge that we long for, the shelter that we seek, the fortress that we hide behind. And so for those in this room who are tired and overwhelmed, those who are so busy, ashamed and discouraged, Jesus is inviting you to come to him for he is the one who forgives sins, heals pain, restores brokenness, picks up the fallen, gives strength to the weak, encouragement to the weary, and an invitation to those who are exhausted. He gives grace to the undeserving. See, your body needs the type of rest that is found off, found in, in more days off or a longer weekend, an extended vacation, but the rest that your soul needs is found only in the one who's strong enough that when you collapse onto him, he is able to hold you and to catch you. Friends, are you responding to the invitation of Christ who calls you to come and rest in him? Let me close with this story. There once was a man Who heard a knock at the door and he went to answer it he was surprised to find jesus on the other side so of course he welcomed him in and led him to the living room which was nice and cozy had a nice little fireplace and there jesus said to him let's meet here often it's quiet and intimate and you and i can share in fellowship here and for a while the man regularly enjoyed this time with jesus but soon his life got busy Uh, Things got tiring, things got discouraging, and the first thing to go was time with Jesus. One day, the man was rushing out of the house when he noticed at the corner of the eye that Jesus was sitting on the sofa alone. And convicted, he went over to him and asked, Have you been here every single day? To which Jesus responded, Yes. Even more shocked and surprised, he asked, Well, I wasn't showing up, so why did you still show up? To which Jesus responded, it was at such a great cost that I came to save you that we could have a relationship. And from time to time, you will forget me. But you should know that the invitation to sit down and fellowship with me always stands. I'll be right here when you discover how much you need to come and rest. You know, Friends, for those in this room who regularly experience the rest there is in Christ, keep going to Him. Don't stray too far. For those of you who haven't gone to Him, haven't come to Him in quite some time, the good news is the invitation doesn't expire. So don't worry, wait, don't tarry, don't delay anymore. And if you're in this room and you've never responded to the invitation of Christ, in faith and in surrender, you can do so today because he who invites you welcomes you to the rest that your soul needs. This is the heart of our Savior. This morning, hear his words as he says, come away with me and rest for a while. Would you please bow your heads?